And I want you, if you would, to turn with me in your Bibles to uh, Exodus chapter 18. And we're going to read, kind of skip around and read different parts of Exodus 18. Also pray for the college and career group. They started a new study in uh, the book of Numbers uh, last night. And I know that the Lord blessed it. Pray for all those teachers. And uh, I think it's a wonderful benefit ministry for our church. So let's look at Exodus 18. We're going to read verses 1 and 2 and then skip down to verse 5. When Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, and that the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt, then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her back. All right, skip down to verse 5. It says, And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife unto Moses in the wilderness, where he encamped at the Mount of God. So the children of Israel were out at the Mount of God at this time. I think it had been about two months since they had, since the Passover, since they'd actually come out uh, of Egypt. And God, uh, for whatever reason, we, we, this was months ago we talked about it, that uh, Moses had sent his wife and sons back to uh, Jethro, who was, was Zipporah's dad, Moses' father-in-law. And now they're coming to join him. Okay, they're coming to join Moses and the congregation of Israel out at the Mount of God in the wilderness. And uh, it was an exciting thing. It was a good thing because he had heard about all the Lord had done. Let's pick up in verse 8. And Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done unto Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake and all the travail that had come upon them by the way and how the Lord delivered them. And Jethro rejoiced for all the goodness which the Lord had done to Israel, whom he had delivered out of the hand of the Egyptians. So it was a happy reunion. It was a reunion that was centered upon the Lord and upon the work of God and what he had done. That's the best kind of reunions. That's the best kind of meetings uh, to, to glorify God. Can I tell you what the Lord has done for me? Jethro had heard about a lot of this, but he heard it from Moses uh, firsthand. And now here's what we're going to talk about. Skip down to verse 13. And they made a sacrifice to the Lord and so forth uh, and, and prayed with the elders of Israel and Moses and Aaron. And then verse 13, it came to pass on the morrow that Moses sat to judge the people and the people stood by Moses from the morning unto the evening. And when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he did to the people, he said, what is the thing that that thou doest to the people. Why sittest thou thyself alone and all the people stand by thee from morning unto evening? And Moses said unto his father-in-law, because the people come unto me to inquire of God. When they have a matter, they come unto me. And I judge between one and another. And I do make them know the statutes of God and his laws. We're going to stop right there. We're going to read a little bit more later. But this is what we're going to talk about tonight. It's very interesting. It might be something that we don't maybe hear a lot about or think about a lot. But we get a little glimpse here into Moses' life. If you picture, you know, what, what day by day was Moses' life like? Okay? They're basically just trying to survive, right? Those that had families and kids and so forth, they're just trying to, to eat and drink and have shelter. And they're following the clouds. So there's a lot of packing up and traveling and moving. But any time there would be a, a time where the cloud would stand still and the people would abide in that place, we get a picture into Moses' life and what he was doing. 
He was a judge to the people as well. This man was really something. It's a, it's a picture of Christ. He was not Christ, but all through the Old Testament in the lives of different people, uh, we see uh, types of Christ. We see characteristics of Christ in real fleshly examples. Okay, And this is one of the traits that we see in Moses' life, and it's all fulfilled in Jesus. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more. But they, they, uh, they left Rephidim, and Rephidim was the place where the water came out of the rock and where, where he sent the manna. Okay? Now they left that place, and they start traveling, and there's, there's just this big wide open uh, valley, uh, miles and miles of yellow sand. Okay? And there's mountains around them. And they come to this one particular mount. And this is called the Mount of God where they are. And so what is Moses doing? He's sitting there. It says from morning unto, unto evening. So all day long. Other people might have a little leisure time. Other people might have time to sleep in or to have, you know, whatever. To go gather up something, something that they wanted or, or, or whatever they were doing. But we see this as his practice. We see this as, and it would be more so, we would see it all through his life, those 40 years in the wilderness. You know, he was 40 years old in Egypt, in, uh, 40 years old in Egypt, then 40 years in the desert, and then 40 years with the children of Israel in the wilderness after they came out of Egypt. And this was pretty much his life. He was a judge. He was a, a mediator. He was an intercessor for the people. And uh, the people would come to him with grievances. So-and-so, you know, I woke up and I had my blanket here and this morning I woke up and they had one. It sure looks a lot like mine over there. You know, whatever it was, there were grievances. There were disputes among the people. Everybody wasn't wonderful and, and godly, okay? And they were just normal people. And they would come to him and they would come to him for him to go to the Lord on their behalf. Settle this dispute. It was though they were coming to the Lord. And even though they were not at all the most wonderful people, they rebelled against Moses more than once. They had already rebelled against Moses by this time. But still, they had enough, I guess, uh, respect for him to know he knows God. We can go to him. If we need an answer of what God has to say on the matter, we know who to go to. We're going to Moses. They had seen him in Egypt with the plagues. They had heard his voice when he told them how to keep the Passover. He had heard him when he said, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. And the Red Sea parted and, and water coming out of the rock. They knew that he knew the Lord and that God had, had this call upon his life. So despite all their murmuring, they still went to him when they needed something. Something either spiritual or an answer from God or to settle a dispute. And it's interesting because it says that Moses said they have come to me and I make them know the laws and statutes of God. And I thought that was interesting. We're going to be doing a study pretty soon. The Lord's starting to give me these sermons I've wanted to for a long time. We're going to be doing a study on the law. What it is and what it isn't and, and how it's abused and how what God would have us to think about his law today as New Testament believers. But this is interesting to me because the law had not been given yet. 
the Ten Commandments on the mountain and all that God did when He met with Moses, that hadn't taken place yet. And yet, he said, Moses said, the people come to me and I make them know the statutes and the laws of God. There's just one thing I want to point out about this tonight. We're going to really get into some lessons on this on Sunday mornings. But God is a God of order. He has always had laws. Even before the Ten Commandments and even before the law, there was always, He's holy and men are sinful. And there's order to God. There was order in creation. There's order in how we approach God and how Cain and Abel, you know, one came the right way and offered the right thing. Well, what's right and what's wrong? There has to be order. There has to be as a God of order and of law. And I just thought that was interesting. So even though God is not written with the finger of God in the tables of stone, the Ten Commandments, and then much that would follow that, you know, many laws that God would give, the law of the first fruits and all the different laws that would be given, um, there was still, Moses knew the Lord. And because he knew the Lord, God would make known to him, this is my way, so to speak. This is how I function. If there's a dispute between two people, here's how this is to be handled. Here's what's just. He didn't just become just at some time. He's holy and he's changes not. He's always been a just and righteous God who loves judgment and righteousness. Well, if you're going to have judgment and righteousness, you're going to have things that are right and are wrong. And someone's going to be the judge. And they're going to say, no, this is right. That to me is the, the, the way that it, God is. He's, uh, he has statutes and laws. And so I just want to make mention of that. So they would come to him. And this was a divine work. I mean, th this judgment sitting there, you think it's just always just sitting in a lazy boy all day and there's really not much to it. But as I said, well, other people, when their dispute was over, it was over. They'd go on about their life. But Moses was fixed there, basically in a judgment seat. And a whole nation, literally a whole nation of people were bringing their disputes to him. And remember, they're not coming with good news. They're not coming to say, Moses, we just want to come today and say you're doing a great job. Keep up the good work. We're praying for you. No, they came when they had disputes. They came when they had murmurings. They, had, they came when they had a grievance. They came when they had a hard question or confused and didn't, or didn't know the way to live or to act or, or what would God have me to do in this situation. It was always a problem. Okay, and so this is what the man, one human being, he was a man like us, just like Elijah was a man like like passions like us. And they're coming to him nonstop. Okay, now the Lord obviously had prepared him, but this was a divine work. It was a supernatural work. It, it's a precious work. Okay, it's a precious ministry to be as that intercessor between men and God. They come to him to know what God would have them to do. They come to a man who knows God to know what's right or wrong or to settle a dispute or what should I do about this or what does God think about this? Job said this, and you don't have to turn there. He mentions, he says, there's one in a thousand to show unto man what is right for him. He's saying it's a rarity. One in a thousand, Job says, that can really speak on God's behalf to show a man this is what's right in God's eyes. That's a precious thing, right? There's no reason that all of us in this room could not be that. Could be that go-between to show a lost man about the Savior 
in the Gospel to show a, a young believer, here's the way, walk in it. Here's how you now live for Jesus. To, to go to a, a brothers that are in a dispute, Christian brothers. There's no reason that all of us couldn't do that. But at this time, it was just Moses, okay? Just Moses. And again, it's, in a picture, it's a picture of the Lord. Because what is Jesus doing right now on our behalf? We know He died and rose again to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The just died for the unjust. But what is His occupation now? He's not just running around heaven doing nothing, waiting till we get there. The Bible says He's seated at the right hand of the Father. Ever, he ever liveth to make intercession on our behalf. That is a blessing. He didn't just save somebody yesterday that prayed for salvation and say, okay, I'll see them when they get to heaven. I've got some other stuff to do. We are still His focus. We're still His sheep. He's still our good shepherd. He sent the Holy Spirit in His stead, in His place. And He's still interceding. He's still our go-between. When we approach God the Father, we pray in the name of the, the Son, right? If you ask anything in my name, that is His position. We don't have to go to an earthly priest or a preacher or a, a temple or anything like that or a man in a long robe. We can fall on our knees and call upon the Lord Jesus Christ and we know that He hears us and He has the, that position that the Father has given Him and that He earned and that He's gladly taken as our intercessor. So the people would come to Him and it's probably the closest job, I'm, I'm calling it a job, but like ministry, the, the closest occupation that Moses had that would have been like our Savior, like a Redeemer. Even when they rebelled horribly against him, which was going to be more, we're going to read about it more in the life of Moses. Even when God wanted to wipe the whole nation out, says Moses, they're so rebellious, I'm going to wipe them all out and start a new nation just with you. What did he do? He says, Good, I've been hoping you'd do that, God. He says, No, for your name's sake, Lord. And he stood in the gap, didn't he? He was an intercessor between a sinful group of people and a holy God. And God called him to that position. He stood one man, stood in the gap. Well, that is like our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. One man down on the cross, one man at the right hand of the Father, the God-man, Jesus Christ, on our behalf. There's none good, no, not one. The Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. He ever lives to intercede on behalf of his people. And so this was very much a, a Christ-like ministry. An occupation. It still is today for people that are called and and are functioning in that ministry. And so, just picture it. Each day, like I said, when somebody has a problem, they're looking for Moses. So Moses is real important to them at that time. Maybe they're waiting in line, okay, because he's the only judge, and they come to him. But when it's settled and over, they just go back to life as normal. Moses no, never goes back to life as normal. Because when this one leaves, he's got another one that comes. And when that one leaves, there's another one that comes. And they, he might not see any of them again the rest of their lives for a dispute. But others are coming. And so you could just picture him. What did he do with those burdens and with those cares? He would take them to the Lord in prayer. He partnered up with God, so to speak. He was bearing, he was sharing God's heart and burden in this. He was a human being. 
that knew God that was sharing those burdens with the Lord and carrying the burdens of people to the Lord. Okay? And so, just picture me. He goes, when they left, and maybe it was sunset or whenever, and they're done, he would have to go and carry these before to the Lord in prayer, right? I need to know what to do. And this wasn't just, oh God, show me what to do about all the people. There were specific people with specific names. Show me what to do about whoever. And he had their names on his mouth. Okay? They're disputing over this. And they're coming back to me tomorrow for an answer. Show me what to do. A long list of complaints. A long list of questions. A long list of people's names. And he's bringing them before the Lord. And, and then they're coming back for an answer. And so he's, like I said, he's, he's so dependent upon the Lord in this thing. And he's, he needs God. He needs the Lord to show him. And so, again, there's no reason why we couldn't be doing that for others as well. And so I would think that it took a long time, wouldn't you? I think this would have been time-consuming. And the cares of his own life, he just had to set him aside and trust that God was going to take care of him, right? Because he had this calling and this occupation and the Bible does say that we're to bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ in Galatians chapter 6. That's a New Testament thing. Bear ye one another's what? Good things and happy things? Yes, we do rejoice with those that rejoice. But it specifically says in Galatians to bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. That is a godly thing to do. When you intercede on behalf of your country, I'm talking about interceding, not just when we come together for a few hours a week. Intercede for your, your lost family members. You intercede for your brothers and sisters in Christ, for other pastors and missionaries around the world and so forth. That is very dear to the Lord's heart. And we're carrying those burdens before the Lord. There was a, a, a believer named John Welsh. He thought this day was wasted unless he spent... Uh, eight to ten hours a day in close communion with God. His day was wasted. He kind of wasted his day if he didn't spend eight to ten hours. And it seems like a lot, but for the intercessor, that would be more normal. Not putting an hour figure on it, but you think about it. If you're praying for lots of people by name, it's going to take a lot longer than if you're just bringing your little list of needs before the Lord. You can knock yours out in a few minutes, of 15 minutes, 30 minutes, and you're done. But the intercessor <laughs> is carrying those burdens of other people like they're his own. And that's the key to it. They're, he's carrying those burdens of other people before the Lord as though that was his own life at stake. As though it was his own desperate need what finances or healing a marriage that's about to split up a family that's split up whatever it may be a missionary that's in danger you're carrying those before the lord that's going to take more time it's also going to take more also going to take more of you if you know what i mean it's going to take more of your heart more of your energy and your your affections being poured out and so um, let's, let's read, skip down a verse. Uh, 
I'm going to read 17 through 18. And Moses' father-in-law said unto him, The thing that thou doest is not good. Thou wilt surely wear away both thou and this people that is with thee. For this thing is too heavy for thee. Thou art not able to perform it thyself alone. And so then he gives them some counsel, which we're going to read in just a moment. But what he's saying, it was too heavy for you. You're going to waste away. Because this is just early. Moses doesn't know it, but there's 40 years of this. They've been two months in the wilderness. And a lot of those days were traveling. So this is going to become a practice. This is going to become a habit. And he's saying you're going to waste away. And, but we're told that the faithfulness of Moses, okay? In Hebrews, it says he was faithful in all his house over all that God had put him in charge of. Jesus doesn't waste away, though. So the, the examples of types of Christ through Moses or, or Joseph in the Old Testament being a type of Christ, all those are types. But the real is fulfilled in Jesus. He doesn't waste away. It's not too much for him. But it is good that, that Moses walked with him in this burden. And so uh, it, w- it, was, it was taxing. And I just want to mention this. You can't do this type of ministry, interceding, judging over people morning, noon, and night without it costing you something. It's going to cost something. It's going to cost sleep. Instead of getting sleep, you're going to be awake. It's going to cost physical strength. It's going to cost leisure time. And, and uh, it's going to cost a lot of things. And it's very taxing on the mind. If you've ever done it before, you know what I'm talking about. It's very ta- taxing on your emotions to, to sit before people and judge. And then also to keep a lot of those things confidential and so forth. And a lot of you have have done this type of thing before. Remember when Jesus was pressing through the crowd of people and he was on his way to Jairus' house to heal her and actually end up raising her from the dead. But on the way there, there's the woman with the issue of blood, this infirmity that she continued to have this blood for, for 12 years and spent all her money on doctors and got no better but got worse. And she just, in her heart, said, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be made whole. When she touched him by faith like that, the Bible says that he perceived, he stopped, and, and a lot of people were touching him, but he perceived that virtue had gone out of him. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? In other words, something of the Lord went out to help somebody. And I don't want to make, to, to try to spiritualize it in some way beyond what I even understand. I'm just saying he said, Virtue went out of him. Some, some power and some authority and some help and some, something of Christ went out of him and made the woman whole. All right? And so that's kind of what I'm talking about. Here's Moses sitting all day long and he's pouring out to people and then pouring out to the Lord in prayer and then going back to the people and to the Lord and back to the people. And it's taxing. That's why we have to be continually filled with the Spirit. That's why we have to be refreshed. If you're a minister, if you are just any, any believer, if you're on a mission trip, you're pouring out. If you taught Sunday school, uh, you need to be filled back up. If you shared your testimony and you just sit down in your chair like, I'm glad that's over. I was nervous about it and everything like that. 
there's, that's a physical thing, but spiritually, we need to be filled back up. And we, we need to retreat back to God. Turn off the TV, okay? Even if you just taught the kids, you just witnessed to somebody, you just settled a big, messy argument between a husband and a wife, and you brought the Word of God into it, and you prayed over them. You prayed to cast a demon out of somebody. You prayed and spent the last three nights in the hospital with somebody praying over them nonstop in the hospital. You're giving out, which is good. We need to be refilled, and we can be. It's rivers of living water. It's not a lake. It's not a pond. It's rivers and rivers flow. And it goes out. And, and again, I'm not going to go beyond just what I understand from the Scriptures. But the Bible says, Be not drunk with wine, whereas excess will be filled with the Spirit. That word fill means it's a continual process. It's not a one-time, oh, I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's a life and a lifestyle. And we saw this with Jesus. All day healing people. Pouring out, pouring out. Nobody was coming to give him anything except their problems. They were coming to bless him. They were sick and they were maimed and they were demon possessed and they were crippled and they were poor. And brother, make my brother give me what's mine. This is the kind of thing that was coming to him all day long. Okay? And he's given out and given out. And when everybody else went to sleep, including his disciples, he went to go out and pray. That's where he received his strength. That was his secret to his strength and his power. He was all man, all God. There's a mystery there. We know he never ceased being God. But still, this is where he was strengthened and received wisdom to know what was the will of the Father and avoid traps and so forth. So Moses is pouring out, pouring out, and his father-in-law sees this. And it's not you don't punch a time clock and go home when you're an intercessor or mediator. Okay, you might have a job at work, and while you're there, you're very conscientious and you do a great, great job. But when you're gone, you're gone. You're not thinking about it. You're not carrying those burdens home. It works back there, and I don't want to think about it anymore. But an intercessor, which of all of us, okay, and some are more called than others, but all of us, we're carrying those burdens, and it's it's a continual thing. And so. Uh, it finally wore on Moses because he's a human being. Like I said, Jesus doesn't get worn out by it. But I just want to read this. If you're taking notes, it's Numbers 11, 11 and 12. But later in years in the wilderness, Moses said unto the Lord, Wherefore hast thou afflicted thy servant? And wherefore have I not found favor in thy sight that thou layest the burden Thou layest the burden of all this people upon me. Have I conceived all these people? Have I begotten them that thou shouldest say unto me, Carry them in thy bosom as a nursing father, beareth the sucking child unto the land that thou swearest unto their fathers? There came a point, it doesn't mean he quit or gave up, but he was frustrated. It had worn on the man. Some point later he said, Lord, why have you put the burden of all these people on me? Who am I? Why do I have to carry a whole nation of people like a little infant child and I'm, I'm holding them the whole time? That I have to do that. And so he's, he's calling out to the Lord. There's a strain in it. Okay? There's a strain. And the Lord always gives us the strength that we need to bear it. But again, Jesus doesn't crumble under that load. Of the sins of the world on his own body on the cross, 
or the, or the burdens of His people crying out to Him, His church body around the world that's suffering at the hands of wicked men and just in the cares of life, He's not too... Um, he can handle it. He can bear it up. And think about this. He, he is the, the one upon whom it's all placed. It's all placed upon Christ. All the sins of the world, people that don't know Him and are still cursing Him to this day, their sins were still placed upon Him on the cross. And then His people that He's shepherding. And all that he, He's touched with the feelings of what? Our infirmities. That's just our weaknesses. That's not just necessarily physical sicknesses, but anything that afflicts us as a man in this earthly body and on this sinful planet. Everything that afflicts us, He is familiar with those weaknesses. He's touched by the feelings of our infirmities. I would say praise God. Amen. Thank the Lord for such a wonderful Savior and intercessor that we have. And the Bible says He faints not, neither is weary. That's the Lord. And so his father-in-law sees this. And you could say it was good advice or bad advice. I think it was good advice. Okay? The Bible doesn't make a judgment on it. The Bible gives the, the account of it. Jethro, his father-in-law, this is the first he's seen of it. What are you doing, Moses? Well, the, the people come to me when they have a problem. And when they need a hard thing answered from the Lord. And, and God makes me a judge. And I go to God and talk to God for them on their behalf. And I come back and give them an answer. And the people come to me. And his father-in-law says, oh, no, no. This is just going to wear you out. This is too much. You can't, he specifically said, you can't bear it alone. And so let's keep reading. So in Exodus chapter uh, 18, where we were, pick up in verse 19. And we're going to read through the end of the chapter. Hearken now unto my voice. I will give thee counsel, and God shall be with thee. Be thou for the people to Godward. That's an interesting thing. You be to the people like you are, like almost in God's place. You, you are to the people, their connection with God, basically. Their, their uh, answer from the Lord. You be to the people Godward. That thou mayest bring the the causes unto God. And thou shalt teach them ordinances and laws and shalt show them the way wherein they must walk and the work that they must do. Moreover, thou shalt provide out of all the people able men. So here's the counsel. You keep doing what you're doing, but here's what you're going to do. You're going to spread the burden. You're going to spread the ministry to other people. You look out able men such as, and here's the qualifications that fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness. So that's the th three things. They fear God. That's the beginning of wisdom. Men of truth. And they hate covetousness. So they're not going to be a, a judge that takes a bribe. Hey, look, I know you and him got an argument, but slip me a couple of, of your cows over here and I'll, I'll rule in your favor. We'll say that God pronounce that judgment. Alright? It's men that hated covetousness and placed such over them to be rulers of thousands and rulers of hundreds and rulers of fifties and rulers of tens. And let them judge the people at all seasons. And it shall be that every great matter they shall bring unto you, but every small matter they shall judge. So shall it be easier for thyself 
and they shall bear the burden with thee. If thou shalt do this thing, and God command thee so, then thou shalt be able to endure, and all the people shall also go to their place in peace. So Moses hearkened to the voice of his father-in-law, and did all that he had said. And Moses chose, chose able men out of all Israel, and made them heads over the people, rulers of thousands and hundreds and fifties and tens, and they judged the people at all seasons. The hard causes they brought unto Moses, but the easier, every small matter, they judged themselves. And Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went his way into his own land. So this was a blessing, I believe. I think this was of the Lord. We're going to see a, 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 an example of that in the New Testament as well. We're going to read in just a moment. But uh, I think one thing that's important about Moses, we've talked in, in months past in this study, weeks past, about his humility, right? And we see it because he could have said, Jethro, I know you're my father-in-law, but I'm the man. I'm the one that God chose to bring the children of Israel out. It's me. He spoke to me in a burning bush. I don't need to receive anything from you. I don't need any counsel from you. Uh, you know, thanks, but no thanks. He didn't act that way. He, it says he hearkened unto the counsel of his father-in-law. That's important. If he's going to be a counselor, he needs to be able to be counseled as well. If you're going to sit judging people in the name of God, morning, noon, and night, you better be able to take counsel yourself. There's a humility there. And there's also wisdom there. And we see this with Moses. There's so many wonderful uh, characteristics about his life. And this is one of them. And so um, they bring these harder matters to him and, and they bring the easier matters to others. So it was up to Moses to find the right people. Okay? There probably weren't a lot of them, but there were some. And um, it's not God's will. I will say this. And I, so I think it was good counsel. I think it was totally of the Lord. Some people have actually criticized Moses for this. Like, he should, if he'd have been, had enough faith, he could have just done it all. But the Bible doesn't ever criticize him for that. You know what I'm saying? That he does it, and it, it's a good thing. And believe me, when the people wanted to rebel, it was Moses they were going to rebel against. He was still the leader and the one that God chose. But it is not God's will. Wherever you are in the will of God or in the ministry of God, it's not His will for you to pine away, for you to wear, wear away. It is taxing, it's hard, but it's not His will for you just to shrivel up and die uh, because you're, you're taking too much upon yourself in the ministry of the Lord. I don't believe that. I'm not saying it's easy. Hardest work you'll ever do is the ministry. Okay? I am saying that it's not His will that you, you uh, waste away. That you wear away. I could do it eight hours a day. Now I can only do it six. And pretty soon I can only do it four. And now I can't lift my head out of bed. And oh, I'm in the will of God. I, I, don't, I don't think that's how He works. He might bring us to a place where we realize I need help. Okay, I need God. You got to send me some more laborers into this, or you're going to have to supernaturally strengthen me more. If this is what you've called me to do, then you're going to have to strengthen me, and He will. He'll do one of the two. He'll send you the workers you need, 
or He'll give you the strength to do it. But He's not just going to let you waste away to nothing to where you can't even function in what He's called you to do. I just don't believe that. Again, I'm not saying ministry is easy. It's the hardest work you can do. But actually the burden that He puts upon us, I'm talking about whether it's Foxy's ministry or whether it's a missionary, okay, whether it's an intercessor who nobody knows about, but they're intercessors like Reese Howells and some of y'all have read his book, The Intercessor. Uh, Whatever the ministry is, it's heavy. But remember this, it's never too heavy. Might be the heaviest thing you've ever had put upon you by God. It might be the heaviest thing other than the Lord Jesus, the burden that's ever been put on anybody. You might not know anybody that has a burden like what you have. It's heavy, but it's not too heavy. It's not too heavy because the Lord gives us the strength to bear. And it's at times like that we find His strength supernatural. Uh, the, the, the responsibilities that you have are many, but they're not too many. And I have just, speaking from my own testimony in my life, there's times when I've, I have felt like uh, in years past, not now, where, where the responsibilities were too many. Like it really was, all the joy was gone out of it. It was like, it was not the service to the Lord with a joyful heart. I was doing Christian things and Christian service. And, and the Lord showed me, for example, that I was doing some things in the church or in His name that He never called me to do. There were good things and there were good works, but it, it wasn't something He called me to do. And when I stepped back, then maybe who He really had called to do that could step into that position. And it's good all the way around. You see what I'm saying? Uh, we always do good. We always serve God. You don't have to wait your call to, to fold up folding chairs and stack them up. Or if you're asked to open communion, come up with communion. Then you don't have to, well, I don't know if I'm called to that. We always serve God. But I'm talking about a real calling to be sure that what we're, what we're doing and we're, what we're occupied with is really what He's called me to do. Because if it is what He's called me to do, He will be sufficient. The, the servant of God will learn what Paul learned. My grace is sufficient for thee. We'll learn that. And we'll know it and we'll know it to be true. But what's one of the good things, y'all, about this delegating? I think it was, it was good in, in this case because it allowed, for one thing, the people were waiting in line all day for Moses because he's just one man and there are millions of people. Okay? Maybe hundreds or thousands coming every day. I don't know. But it was morning till night. So one thing, the, the people were getting clogged up, so to speak, delayed in their answers. Another thing, he was wearing away. The people were wearing away. It was taking too long. And so when he spread the, uh, spread the responsibility to others, it, it sped that up. It, get, it also caused some other men to, to step into ministry where they were not before. Can I tell you, that's always a good thing. That's always a good thing when a man or woman, a young person, was, was not in ministry and at the calling of God begins to minister. That's a wonderful thing. That's a new servant of God. And they'll have weaknesses and they'll have to learn things and they'll have someone over them and they'll have people that they're over and all that kind of stuff in the Lord. And it causes them to grow and their ministry can be a blessing 
to others. You see what I'm saying? And also, what it would do, it would give some like-minded people for Moses. Some like-minded people that could bear some of the burdens that he was bearing. It, we don't know their names. It doesn't really tell us. But, but just in a general sense, if you, had, if you were ministering all by yourself and God sent you three people that say, I know the calling. I feel God's called me to this. And now you have three other men that know your burden. They know what it's like because they sat judging the people all day today. And coming tonight when y'all go to pray together, they say, I know what it's like. That is a comfort, isn't it? It's good to have co-laborers in the gospel and in the ministry. And it gives them a chance to grow and, and maybe frees Moses up to do something else that God had for him with some of that time. We don't know, but, but it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful situation all, ar- all around. So I want you to turn with me, and we're, we're about to close, to Acts chapter 6, because I said there's a New Testament example of this. You probably know what it is. But in the early church, in Acts chapter 6, we're probably going to close with this thought. Acts chapter 6, 1 through 4. And in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, so the church is growing, it's growing fast. The early church really exploded in those first few days and weeks and months. It really exploded. Okay? 3,000 on the day of Pentecost, 5,000 at the temple when Peter and John healed the lame man, 5,000 people were saved. It's growing. And with the growth of the church, there are people to be ministered to. All right? All kinds of needs. Physical needs, spiritual needs, and here's a problem. So the disciples multiplied. There arose murmurings of the Grecians. Now this is within the church. The Grecian Christians against the Hebrew Christians because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. So in the, in the, within the ministry of the church and taking care of the needs of the widows, one group was getting neglected. Now we know that's not God's will. It didn't go on and on like this forever and cause a huge rift or split in the church. It could have, but it was solved. There was a problem. They came to the leaders. They told them about it. God has wisdom. He gave wisdom to men. Fixed. The problem's fixed. All right. Then the twelve called them the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It's not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. They're not saying that they're too good for it. They're not saying we're above serving people food, okay, or bringing food to a widow. They're saying that's not our calling. This is not what God Almighty saved and called us to do in this hour. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, but that we may, whom we may appoint over this business, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So I'm gonna, we're gonna stop with this thought. I'm just gonna talk about it for a minute. What was so good about it? There was a genuine problem in the church. It was a problem. It could have caused division. It could have caused a serious fallout. It could have caused some people to get mad and leave the church. All right, stop serving God. Think God's not fair. But it, it didn't go that way. Remember that about any problem we ever have. There are real problems. There'll be problems in this church, but every problem we have can be solved. If we all come together to the Lord and say, 
God, here's the problem. I don't know what to do about it. Let's pray and fast and seek the Lord. It's His church. He knows how to fix it. If we'll all be of that mindset and we'll all yield to that, the problem will be fixed. But what happens is they, they go and they appoint these, these men and seven men. That's what God showed them to do. It was a wonderful thing because you know who some of these seven were? Philip the evangelist was appointed to this. He's the one that the Lord used a layman, not one of the disciples, not one of the apostles. He was used to bring revival to Samaria after this. Okay? Uh, Stephen, the first martyr who preached and, and it had a profound effect on Saul of Tarsus' life as a young man, watching him take a stand for God and be stoned at the hands of rebellious people. Out of that seven that were going to just serve tables, so to speak, were raised up these other ministers of God. And they said, they didn't say we're, we're too good for that. Y'all do little things like that. Y'all will clean the toilets and sweep the floors. We got bigger fish to fry. That wasn't like their, their attitude. There was like, we have to give ourselves, we have to give ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of what? The Word. That's what I have to give myself to. That's what we have to give ourselves to. The other things are important. They're not unimportant. And so find some faithful men. And the qualifications were pretty high. They had to be full of faith, full of the Holy Ghost, and full of wisdom. We didn't read that. They were filled with faith in God, full, filled with the Holy Ghost, and filled with wisdom. And put them over this matter, and this, this business. And they did. And everything was taken care of. Everything was fixed. And it left the disciples to be freed up the apostles to be freed up to do what was most important for them. So just remember that. They weren't called. It doesn't mean they never go visit a sick person or heal a sick person or give food. It doesn't say that they would never do that. It says that's not our ministry. That's not our calling. We've been called to prayer and the ministry of the Word. And when they, when they gave themselves to that and they gave other people a chance to serve, uh, the church was healthy and it grew and became what it was supposed to be. And I just wanted to, uh, to close with that thought. And this whole thought about being an intercessor though with Moses, the perfect intercessor is Jesus. And He can call us to ministries to, uh, to serve people, to intercede for people, to judge people. And we can only do that. My last statement, you can come. The last thought is that we can, we can be all, uh, we touch men the most when we touch God the most, if that makes sense. We touch, we can be most effective in helping people when we are most w with the Lord and we're walking with God. So whatever ministry you have, if you're teaching the children Sunday school, uh, whatever it is that God's called you to do at this point in your life, it's going to grow. It doesn't go backwards. It goes. It becomes more as we walk with the Lord. But spend that time with God. You can touch men the most when you touch God the most. Amen? And so we're, we're called to that. And, and I thank the Lord that we have such a high priest on our behalf. Let's pray. Father, we love you tonight, God.